Hello, and welcome to the Denali Lord Nutrition and Wellness Podcast. My name is Denali Lord. I'm your host. I'm also a registered dietitian, fitness professional, help and mindset coach. Happy Monday, and thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Today's episode is a very special episode because we're going to talk about the impact of self-compassion. Now, if you're anyone who can resonate with this, which I think we all struggle with self-compassion, we're just not hardwired to have compassion for ourselves. Oftentimes we have compassion for others, but when it comes to the way that we console and comfort ourselves, forget it. Part of that is societal, right? Our society doesn't promote self-compassion and sometimes our upbringings don't as well or our own personal limiting beliefs. We all have them. For me, self-compassion is something that I've struggled with since I was a little girl. I can remember being, I think it was third or fourth grade, and math has never been my subject. I'm just not interested in it, and quite frankly, I'm very average at it, and I'm okay with admitting that. I remember getting a like a, a C- minus or really low test score on this quiz that had to do with long division. And I just remember studying and feeling so down on myself for not getting an A, for not being that perfect student that my parents and that my teacher and that I ultimately kind of pushed myself to be. So I have very little self-compassion towards myself. And this precipitated all throughout high school, into college, into grad school, into my professional career, and ultimately into my love life. I have placed very high expectations on myself. And when I don't meet those expectations, I tend to self-criticize. I think a lot of us can empathize and relate to that. And so today's podcast, we're really going to dive into how to, well, one, what is self-compassion? Because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding and two, how to dive into and develop those self-love practices. Because just like a lot of things, if self-love is something that you struggle with, guess what? We're going to develop it. It is going to become a skill. And skills take time and practice, right? They don't just magically happen overnight. So I recently read Dr. Kristen Neffs, or Neffs, my apologies if I'm mispronouncing your name, book on self-compassion. And she also has a workbook that she's written with Dr. Christopher Germer called the Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook. Now in this workbook, it is very detailed, but also very direct. It's If you ever want a, a book on self-compassion, I highly recommend this workbook because it really highlights kind of the nitty gritty on developing self-compassion in a very mindful way. And we'll talk more on mindfulness and its relationship to self-compassion here. So I think it's, it's important to dive into what self-compassion is not. Because again, 
me growing up with this very self-critical, very type A, very kind of regimented perspective and outlook on what self-compassion is greatly skewed my perspective on it. So let's get a few things straight on what self-compassion is not. Self-compassion is not weak. It's not weak, y'all. Being self-compassionate doesn't mean you're a weak person, okay? For a long time, and I will kind of attribute this to part of my upbringing and part of, I'm not blaming this all on my parents, so mom and dad, if you're listening, I'm not blaming this all on you. Part of it was my teachers, my friends, my friends' parents. We're just culturally ingrained to be really damn hard on ourselves for really no good reason. You know, we wouldn't go up to our good friend or our relative and say, gee, you look like shit today. The way you responded to that question, terrible. You're going to get fired or that person's going to think you're a complete idiot. Okay. We might tell ourselves that, but is that really how or what we would say to someone that we love and care about or someone who we respect? Absolutely not. Unless you are trying to get fired or just blocked, right? We, we wouldn't respond that way. So being self-compassionate, it doesn't make you a weak individual. In fact, it actually increases your emotional intelligence, which is going to be able to allow you to have difficult conversations with people that might have different perspectives or a different outlook on things. Okay. One of them being they have a different view on politics or they have a different view on religion or they just, they have a different view on maybe a color or a business proposal that you're working on. These are really good skills to have because you have to be able to negotiate and compromise in life, no matter if it's a personal or a professional relationship. The biggest mistake or the biggest misunderstanding, let's not call it a mistake. The biggest misunderstanding I had about being self-compassionate is that self-compassion is not pity. It's not pitying yourself, right? When we throw a pity party, we are actually saying, Woe is me. The world is out to get me. The world sucks. I am a total failure. I just completely fucked that all up. That's not what self-compassion is. Self-compassion is more like, okay, you know, I didn't handle that the best. Things could have gone a little differently. Perhaps next time I will address things in a different way, but I'm holding that space for myself of, I'm disappointed with myself. I'm frustrated with myself because I know I could have handled it better. That's what self-compassion looks like. So self-compassion is not allowing ourselves to have a pity party. Okay. Having a pity party is more of that fixed mindset, which I talked so much about earlier in the year. And don't you worry, there's going to be a lot more podcasts and a lot more content coming out on a fixed mindset. Stay tuned for that. So self-compassion is not selfish. I grew up in a Southern culture and I do feel that Southern women, especially Southern women of prior generations, we are taught to be very 
self-sacrificing to the point where we ignore our own needs or we are putting them further down the totem pole. And so actually addressing one's needs can sometimes be construed as selfish. And if there's any of my fellow Southern ladies listening, let me tell y'all, being self-compassionate is not selfish. In fact, we need to have self-compassion for ourselves again so that we can better assist and love and just relate and get along with others. When we're really hard on ourselves, eventually we start to become hard on others. We do. We might not at first, but we start to become more judgmental, more rigid in our ways of thinking and believing because we kind of expect others to be hard on themselves. And maybe that's, I'm speaking just solely from my perspective, but it is something that I have noticed with some of um, of my friends or relatives um, is that they start to kind of have those expectations that everyone's a little harsh on themselves. And that's that's not really the case. Being self-compassionate does not mean you're lazy. It does not demotivate you. In fact, it actually, for me at least, it inspires me to be more open and to connect with others in a better way because I'm able to, one, give more and I'm able to respond and relate to that person in a more open, communicative manner. Okay? And then self-compassion is not an excuse to behave a certain way. Self-compassion is not an excuse to mistreat others, to uh, say whatever we think without any implication of saying what we think and not going in a, a very deconstructive or harmful way to someone else. So now that we've talked about what self-compassion is not, let's talk about what it is instead. And if you Google self-compassion, there's a lot of different definitions, but this is my own. This is what resonates with me. Self-compassion is the ability to show ourselves love and grace, humility during difficult times. Self-compassion is the ability to be very mindful or very present as these challenging situations arise. So let's break that down. Being self-compassionate means that we're finding love for ourselves. We are being humble enough. We're taking our ego and our pride and we're basically putting it aside and saying, yep, I'm human. I messed that up. I didn't handle it in a way that I wanted it to go. But I'm going to hold that space and I'm going to allow myself to sit with those emotions, those emotions of shame or fear or contempt or disgust or humiliation, whatever it is, it can often times allow us to be able to just reflect maturely with our emotions so that when we are ready to go back and deal with the situation that didn't go in a way that we wanted it to, we can do so from a point of open-mindedness, grace, and love. And those three things are so powerful to be able to just 
coexist and also to flourish in this world. So according to this workbook that I'm reading by Dr. Neef and Dr. Germer, self-compassion has three elements, self-kindness, common humanity, and mindfulness. So what is self-kindness? We've been talking a lot about it. It's self-love. It's our ability to just recognize that we're human. We're not perfect, right? Um, it, for example, when I was telling you about me being so self-critical as a little girl about making a C- minus on a long division test, which thank goodness now I have my calculator or my cell phone. And I've heard that there's new ways of doing math. And um, while I don't have children, I certainly have the utmost respect for parents who are trying to learn these new ways of mathematics because um, my, my hat's off to you folks. Like I, again, I don't, um, I don't excel at math and nor do I really have the interest to. So my hat's off to you. So if I could go back in time and tell my eight or nine year old self, Denali, did you do well on this math test? No, I didn't. But rather than seeing myself as a failure for making a low grade, I wish I could have given myself a pep talk that resembled something like this. Hey, Denali, I see that this math test didn't go according to plan, but instead, perhaps we could just sit and think on ways of growing your math skills. Maybe that's getting a tutor. Maybe that's asking mom or dad for help or your teacher. And I realize that I'm ashamed for having this low test score, but I know that I can do better. And I know that it's not a reflection of my character. It's just a low test score. So being able to be self-kind allows us to empathize with ourself. We do this oftentimes for our friends and our family members or our colleagues, but it's almost like we have blind spots up to our own needs. Common humanity, and this is something that really spoke to me as I've noticed in the past when I've struggled with something, I've been married before and I've gone through that divorce. I took that divorce as a almost kind of defamation on my character rather than there were things that I could have done better in the marriage, but perhaps that marriage was just not suited to what I needed in a marriage and also in a relationship. And I also have to realize that my weaknesses, my vulnerabilities, I'm not alone in them. That's the beautiful thing about common humanity is that we all suffer. Many of us have gone through a divorce. Many of us have gotten fired from a job. Many of us have failed to complete a goal, college, saving for something, building something, and it doesn't defile us as a person. It's not a character flaw. When we isolate ourselves, like I did, instead of being able to relate to other people who had gone through a divorce, I just took it so personally and I shut myself off and I created an actual anxious and avoidant attachment style, which we'll have an episode on anxious and avoid, avoidant attachment styles later on. But basically 
in short, very short description of what an anxious versus an avoidant attachment style looks like. If you're anxious, think about when you don't hear from someone, whether that's your boss or a partner or a friend, it causes you anxiety. You start to think, oh gosh, I did something wrong. They don't love me. They don't like me. They're going to fire me. That's a very anxious of what anxious attachment style. An avoidant attachment style means that if someone tries to push your boundaries, meaning that might look like they want to spend more time with you, or maybe they want you to move in, or if it's a boss, they want you to consider a promotion, anything where you're like, Ooh, I don't feel comfortable with this. That little red flag goes up. That moment of panic happens. You might have an avoidant attachment style. So more on that to come in another episode soon, but you can start to Google and you can start to think about your own attachment style. Um, in comparison, a secure attachment style is someone who is able to respect not only their own boundaries, but also other people's boundaries. And they're okay with it. When someone says, Hey, actually I can't do something with you tonight. We don't get so caught up in the fact that they rejected us. They said, no, fact, we might not even view it as a rejection, right? It's just, okay, that person's not available. I'm not going to take this personally or, okay, no, that colleague doesn't want to apply for this promotion, or maybe they did get the promotion and you wanted it. You're not taking it personally, right? It's not a reflection of you. So through being able to have this ability to understand my attachment style and being able to understand that by isolating myself, I'm just exacerbating that avoidant attachment style. And I am preventing myself from bonding with other people. I am making this solely about me solely as if Denali has only ever had this issue of divorce when in actuality, so many people, so many of my colleagues, my clients, my friends, they've been through it. So rather than looking at it as poor, woe is me having that pity party, I'm self-compassionate enough to realize, okay, I might be selective about who I talk to this about, but I'm going to talk to a friend or someone who I respect about their divorce and how it impacted them and how they got over it. And that takes time. Hear me out. If you're not ready to do that, I respect that. That's where things like therapy or counseling can be really impactful and help you change that perspective. The other important component of self-compassion is mindfulness. Now, mindfulness is being fully present in the moment of what we are doing. Being mindful, y'all, takes a lot of practice, a lot of strength. It might not be something that comes easily for you. I can share my own personal experience of being mindful. It wasn't something that I was taught necessarily growing up. I was taught to be responsible for my actions and my behaviors, but to be fully aware and present of what I was doing at all times, not so much. So a lot of things I had to learn the hard way. 
I can't have a temper. I can't have a, a mouth on me. And so oftentimes my temper and my mouth, it got me into trouble. And I had to learn the hard way of taking responsibility for what I said or what I did. So being mindful would allow me to pause and reflect on something before I just said or did something. It's like, hey, I know you're really mad, but is that necessarily the best response? Or is that the best way to handle it? Being mindful gives you that opportunity to kind of view your life with a different lens. It's almost like a higher godly-like perspective or third-party-like perspective, where if you could have a drone of what's going on in your life, the drone would allow you to see the bigger picture. And that's what mindfulness does. It actually allows us to get out of our own head because we all get our own own head and view things from that drone-like or godly or third-party-like vision. So why would we want to be self-compassionate? Well, obviously there's, there's a lot of reasons why, but I think one of the biggest things research has shown that folks who display more self-compassion in their lives, they tend to have happier, healthier lives. They have less depression and anxiety. They have increased self-confidence and they have improved physical health. All aspects of a happy, healthy life that we all want to help cultivate and develop self-compassion, especially if you grew up where self-compassion was not a normal, regular part of your day-to-day life. And let me be honest, at times this can be hard because it feels so alien, so abnormal right? We're used to being self-critical and sometimes we often crave or go back to those behavior patterns that are familiar. So one important thing to remember is that habits take time. In fact, it's a minimum of about 28 to 31 days in order to develop that habit. So give yourself at least a month, preferably six to eight weeks. That's about two months to fully develop this habit. And know that even once you've developed that habit, it still takes time to progress. We won't ever perfect, right? We're not going for perfection. We're just going for progression. So ways to help cultivate self-compassion. First, I want you to take out a sheet of paper or your computer if you don't like to write. And I just want you to find a quiet place where you're free from distraction where you, if you need to put in earbuds, that's fine, but you don't feel like someone's going to come up and ask you a question, or you don't hear outside noises like music or conversations. This is a place where you can reflect. So we're going to take just a couple of minutes to gather those materials. I'll be right back. Exercise we're going to do with your computer or with your pen and paper, I want you to think about a time when you were overly critical, overly harsh on yourself, and you really could have used some self-compassion. So take a couple of minutes, write out this experience in detail, as much detail as you want or can think to provide about how you were self-critical. And then I want you to think about a way 
where you could have shown yourself just one drop of self-compassion. There's no right or wrong answer here. So take a second just to write that out. Now that you've written that out, just kind of take a moment to notice if there's any physical responses going on as you're writing this. If you are, that's totally normal. You might feel like you have a sudden pain, like a headache, or maybe your stomach is in knots and you feel slightly nauseous. That is actually called backdraft, where we are allowing our old emotions, things that maybe we have suppressed and stored so much, we buried them so far down that even just thinking about this might seem a little taboo or scary. That is completely normal to feel fear or discomfort or unease, to be a little scared. It's okay. So we're taking this one step at a time. And again, if you have someone that you do trust, like a therapist or a counselor or a good friend or colleague, you can share this with them. In fact, if you know someone who's also struggling with self-compassion, maybe you are doing this exercise together. So I want you to dive a little bit deeper. During that event where you were very harsh on yourself, think about the emotions that arose. Maybe you were shameful. Maybe you were disgusted. Maybe you hated yourself in that moment. Get as detailed as you can about those emotions. Now, I want you to create a column where it says self-critical, self-compassionate. And then on the self-critical column, write down those emotions. And then under the self-compassion, I want you to write down the opposite emotion. For example, if it's self-hate, the opposite emotion will be self-love. If it's depression, the opposite emotion would be joy or happiness. So take just a couple of minutes to write those down and think about those. So now that we've kind of reflected on a particular episode where we've been overly critical towards ourselves, we've examined some of the emotions that we've had and then the opposite emotion. Now I want you to start to imagine a similar scenario. So in other words, a similar event where, okay, and this is towards your, your future self. So for me, going back to the, I failed the math test example, let's say I had another math test to take a grown up math test. Oh boy. <laughs> I'll call it Excel spreadsheets. And let's say I had this quiz over the Excel spreadsheet and I failed it. How would I handle that situation? What would I tell myself knowing that it was a really hard Excel test and maybe other people felt it? Okay. And what emotions would I have? So we know how the old me would have responded, right? The self, self hate, the disgust, the shame, the guilt, the pity. And now let's start to look at it. So first of all, I could address, well, did I study? And if I didn't, I'm honest with myself. Well, you know, Denali, you failed because you didn't study. Let's say that I did study really hard. Well, Denali, you know, you studied really hard. You studied for a few hours on Saturday, but you still didn't pass this Excel sheet. 
perhaps it's time to get a tutor to help you with this Excel spreadsheet. Even though you feel like you're the only person that didn't pass, I know that Bob didn't pass this test as well. So now I don't feel quite as bad because someone else is also struggling. Maybe we could study together and help each other out. Here in this exercise is we're reframing not only our perspective, but also our ability to be mindful. We've addressed how we felt, right? We've addressed the emotion. We've addressed some just cold, hard facts. Even though we studied, it didn't go how we wanted it to go. Or maybe we didn't study and this is a good indicator that we need to. But then we've also given ourselves a potential solution of how we can make it better. And that's really what self-compassion is all about. It's about holding that space. It's about holding those emotions and then trying to look at them with a different lens. That's where we're blending in the mindfulness. We're also blending in that connection to common humanity where we're not the only one, right? Bob also failed it. And there's probably a few other people who failed that Excel test. So finding that ability to just relate to others is so important. Part three. So resistance is a big part of self-compassion. Now my birth sign, my Zodiac sign is Scorpio and my grandmother was a Libra. My mother is a Leo. So if you follow Zodiac signs, you know that these are three of the most stubborn Zodiac signs. So I can say I get it honestly. And I really do. I love my mom. I loved my grandmother. But oh boy, are they stubborn to a T. So resistance is an important aspect of self-compassion that Dr. Neef and Dr. Germer discuss in their workbook. Resistance is basically when we struggle with our current experience. So for example, I hate traffic. I am super resistant to traffic. Sitting in traffic or driving with other drivers who are not paying attention, who are driving below the speed limit, personally drives me crazy because we all have somewhere to be and I expect that people are attentive. So oftentimes when things aren't going my way or when things aren't going the way that I want them to go, I tend to get resistive. I tend to get caught in my head and have that pity party that things aren't going my way. And a telltale sign of resisting is we tend to get irritated, angry, we tend to ruminate where we just dwell on something that happens. We're distracted or we're just very anxious, right? We cannot relax. Well, I hate to break it to you all, but resistance does not serve us in any way. In fact, it's like adding gasoline to 
an existing problem. It only makes things worse. It intensifies the current problem. So when I get all worked up, when my plans have changed or when someone changes my plans for me, me getting upset and reactionary really only makes it worse. So resistance is kind of that pushback, that personal pushback we have to what's going on. And part of self-compassion is realizing we can't change other people's behavior. We cannot change what happens in the world. We can only change our own behavior. So how do we be non or how do we become rather non-resistive? Well, folks, Bob Marley song, don't worry, it's okay. That song, every little thing is going to be okay or all right. That's our song. That's our motto. It's literally learning to go with the flow. That's where we give ourselves a pep talk of, okay, Denali, I realize I'm not happy in this moment. I realize that things are changing that are out of my control. And the only thing that I can control is my reaction to my exterior. By being able to just acknowledge my emotions, sit still with it, and recognize any forms of resistance will actually, one, calm my mind, two, take out the tension, three, take and alleviate the anxiety or the anger and frustration, and it just just allows me to accept things as they are. So I think it's important to address, and this is even addressed in the workbook, and I love this, this point. Dr. Neef and Dr. Grimmer say that mindfulness and self-compassion are not the same thing. They're closely related, but they are different. And so mindfulness focuses mostly on the acceptance of our experience, right? We're being mindful. So we are being non-resistive. We are being cool, calm, and collected, and just allowing that experience to wash over us like waves. Self-compassion, however, focuses more on caring for the experiencer. So let me break that down. Say that I get stuck in traffic and it happens. Driving into Denver or to Boulder has, well, traffic's gotten a lot worse and it can induce a lot of anger and frustration from me if I choose to let that resistant behavior take its effect. However, if I just take a breath while I'm in my car, I can't close my eyes because I'm driving, but if I just take a couple of deep breaths in, deep breaths out, and I say, okay, I'm feeling angry, I'm feeling frustrated that I can't change this, I can't teleport myself to wherever it is I'm going, so how can I calm myself down? First, I can acknowledge how I'm feeling. Two, I can take those cleansing breaths. And three, I can try to logically figure out an alternative route to get to work. Or I can go ahead and communicate with whoever it is that I'm meeting that I'm not going to be there on time and expect to see me around next time. I can also comfort myself by saying you are doing the best that you can with the cards that you are being 
dealt. So when I allow myself to have that compassion, it will make me feel better. And I think a lot of times with compassion, we're so resistive to it because of our emotions, because of our fear, because of our shame, because of our guilt. But when we're able to be mindful, when we're able to oversee ourselves as a drone or as that third party entity, where we realize those emotions are a natural and normal response, right? But it's again, how we handle it. By acknowledging those emotions, we're able to eliminate unnecessary suffering, right? Because ruminating or resisting to something just makes our pain and our suffering worse. Think about this. If you've ever broken something or injured yourself and you sit and you ruminate on how it was broken and how you focus on how much of life you're going to miss out on or how much this is going to be an inconvenience, does it not make your pain and your suffering worse? That resistance of choosing to spend all of your attention, time, effort, and energy on what happened to you pulls you out of that mindful state. It pulls you away from self-love. It pulls you from away from the fact that other people are also injured. Okay. And it also prevents us from really being able to move forward in our life. I'm not saying that that injury isn't important, right? It is, but it's all about letting the resistance go and acknowledging I am where I am and I'm going to make the best of it, even though right now I might be a little irritated with myself or whoever caused this to me. All right, guys, I think that that's enough for today. The self-compassion topic we could keep going on, but I hope today that you found some strategies and some tools to help you One, just become more aware of self-compassion and what it is, and you've developed some tools for how to become more aware to how to go along with what's happening to you and to allow yourself to just rid the resistance. Starting with these basic steps will help make your life happier and healthier, not only with yourself, but also with others. As always, if you guys have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me at info at denalilord.com. Otherwise, have a beautiful rest of your day and I look forward to the next time. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye.